0: I don't know, I, I always thought the DMV was a good spot to go, and uh, uh, that's, that's a good place to be right there, right? Hey, it is so good to be here with you this morning. I hope each of you are smiling and happy. Even on a cloudy day, earth, wind, and fire said there are no cloudy days in September. Apparently, they were wrong, or mistaken, however it may be. My name is Joel And many of you may already know that, and many of you may have already said, oh boy, him again. Um, No, you weren't supposed to laugh at that one. You didn't think that. Come on. You were supposed to say, no, no, that wasn't the case. Anyway, it is so good to be here with you this Sunday morning. Uh, Pastor Tim is away, so you want to remember him in your prayers this week. And if this is your first time, and you're there, like, who is this guy understand this come back again next week all right it, it, things can things will only get better there okay um anyway uh, en- enough of that we are we are in week two week two of a series that we are calling asking for a friend and are asking for a friend video um that gentleman needs a little help i don't know how many of you ever thought about asking for a friend asking about the dmv all right? But we are in week two of a series, Asking for a Friend. And last week, uh, Pastor Tim spoke on, when does God give up on you? Um, I don't know if you have ever wondered that yourself, if you have ever thought about that. But the question has been, when does God give up on you? That was that was the very first question, first week of what, what we're looking at, right? And I would encourage you, if you were not here for that, if you were not here for the message last week, I would encourage you to go online, listen to that. If that is something that you struggle with or if you have a friend that struggles with that, go online and listen to that. We have a God that does not give up on us. Rather, we have, we have a God that sent his son to die on the cross. That is, how valuable, that is how valuable people were to him. He did not give up on us and is not going to give up on him. So that was week one of the series. This week, we are going to take a look at another part, all right? Can you follow God still and have doubts, all right? Can you follow God and still have doubts? Well, let, let me ask this. Um, you guys, many of you that know me, you know that I'm a sports fan. I am a big, big fan of seeing a certain New York football team lose. And they're down south uh, of us, not the northern one, right? And they are right now 2-0, right? The New York Giants are 2-0. Um, I have doubts that they are going to win every game this season. And I would imagine even the biggest fan has doubts of that, Right? But they can still be fans of that team. I am a fan of another 2 and0 team, the Philadelphia Eagles, right? I'm a big fan. I doubt they're going to keep winning and playing as well as they do. Can I still be a fan of them? New York Giants fans. can you still be a fan of your team? Mason up here, he's a fan of the Dodgers. I, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Right? But in life we have doubts that come up and, and we still follow through. Um, this, this morning's message. Um, Following God, I, I pick on sports because I, like I like to pick on certain things. And um, I, I just, for those of you that are New York Giants fans, all right, I, I just want you to know, last year, what did they win? Four or five games, something like that, and I picked on them twice, and both of those weeks, they won. I don't endorse betting, but I'm just saying... Um, That actually is true. I do remember that from last year, picking on them. Anyway, anyway, let's get back to what we're talking about, though, here with God. Can you still follow God and have doubts? Well, that's what we want to look at this morning. That is what week two of this series, Asking for a Friend, is about. Because, you see, in our lives, some of us, we struggle with doubt. Right? We, we have difficulties, all right? And, and I wonder, have, have you ever asked any of these questions? Has this ever been something that you asked in your life? Where was God in all of this? My mom and dad divorced when I was young, not mine, but you might be saying that, all right? And you might be saying, God, where were you in the midst of that? I used to go to bed at night as a kid just praying. God, where were you? Or maybe as a parent, you've got a child that's run and it's gone far from God and, you, and you're there like, God, where are you? Maybe that's you that you ask, God, where are you in all of this? Or maybe there are other issues on your life in your life that you look around. Or maybe it's the issue in the world. You look at the world and you say, God, why, why are you silent on this? Don't you see what's happening? Aren't you aware of what's taking place? God, where, where are you? If there's a good God, all right, why is there such, so much bad that happens in the world? Right? If he's a powerful God, why does he allow the bad to happen? Right? That's the struggle and the doubt that comes into our mind. And we allow that to grab us and we start to wonder, well, maybe God doesn't exist or maybe God isn't there or maybe God doesn't care. And that's what we ask down there. Does, does he even care? Is he, is he aware of me? Is he, is he, does he know that I exist? Does, does he care about me? Right? You're there like just looking at your Facebook or your Instagram or your Snapchat. And you're like, I can't even get anybody to pay attention on that. And they're right around me. Maybe God doesn't realize I exist. Maybe he's only there for the important people or the other people or the extra religious people. Or the, Right? And those are the doubts that come into. And they're the doubts that grab onto and hold onto our lives. Well, this morning, what we want to do in this part of the series is we want to hopefully answer that question. If you are somebody that struggles with doubt in your life, or if you know somebody that struggles with doubt in their life, or if there's been a time where you struggled with doubt, maybe this can be an encouragement or a reminder to you, or maybe this is something to hold on to because maybe there is a point in your life, a struggle in your life that is going to be coming up where you're going to be, ooh, I need that, right? Because we need to walk with God. Here at Bridgewater, what do we believe? We we believe more than just singing that we will build our lives upon a firm foundation because we believe that Jesus is that firm foundation. We want to do more than just sing about that. It's wonderful to sing that praise, and we love singing songs of praise to God. But at the same time, we want that to be the focus of our teaching, the focus of our community, the focus of coming together. What? Building our lives upon Jesus. Why do we want to do that? Because we believe that life with Jesus is better and that life with Jesus will make your life better, all right? It is so true in our lives and just to keep our eyes focused on that. And we believe that if you are here this morning that you have a next step with Jesus. So this morning as we look at this doubt, How does it come into our lives? What happens? We're going to take a look at one of the great characters, one of the great individuals of the Bible, of Scripture that had wonderful faith and was commended for his faith, all right? And and yet, we're going to take a look at some of the struggles that he endured as well. As we get started, I just want to take a look. What What is doubt? Doubt is to hesitate to believe, all right? To hesitate to believe. You can doubt all sorts of things. If somebody makes a lot of promises to you in your life and they never hold up on them, you start to doubt whether they're going to do that or not. When they make a promise to you, you're like, I don't know that that's gonna happen. You start to doubt whether that is going to be a part of them. Why? Because of who they are. Doubt builds in and we hesitate to believe, right? That's what happens in our lives, the other part of doubt is this right here. It's, we just question, right? We question. I don't know. Is that really true? Is it really true that there is a God? Is it really true that he sent his son to die on the cross? Or is this just made up and written by somebody in the 800s or 400s or somewhere back in there, and they just put it all together and brought it all together? That's where we start to question our faith. But one of the things that I want us to realize this morning is you can ask questions. We can have doubt, and it is our faith, our faith. If you will have faith in God, if you will have faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, it's not just a blind faith that we can have. Do you you know that? We have a faith in the written testimony of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, of individuals that were there and saw a risen Savior. Because without a risen Savior, without the risen Jesus Christ, we really don't have this and we don't pay attention to it, right? Because it didn't happen. But we have individuals that were there. So our faith is based on the eyewitness testimony of individuals that said, Jesus rose from the dead. By the way, those individuals, they doubted as well. And on the other side, on the other side of his resurrection... Doubt was no longer a part of what they, th- what they held. Rather, they marched full throttle forward, proclaiming the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful for that today. But doubt, to hesitate to believe, to call into question. Well, I want to open up and I want to say, if you have doubt, we come by it naturally. And I want to look right back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to jump around a little bit. We'll land and we'll end in Genesis 12 moving forward there. But back in Genesis chapter 3, we are introduced to doubt. And who who are we introduced to it by? We are introduced to it by that great deceiver, all right, who had taken on the form of a serpent. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Now the serpent, all right, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say. And with that comment right there, what is he doing right from the start? Right from the start, he is crying out and he's saying, "Did God did he did he really say that?" Right? And he's calling into action. He's calling into account doubt. He's creating doubt in the lives of of well, in the life right here of Eve, and he still does the same in the lives of you and I today. He will call out and he will give us doubt. Why? So that we're, we are kicking back. So that we are wondering, God, are you really there? Right? God, are you out there? Do you pay attention? Do you care? Do you realize what is going on in my life right now? Are you aware of what, what is taking place? And Satan does this with her. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Eve responds to him, All right, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Eve gives us this point right here. We will die, all right? There's a lot going on in this verse, but part of it is we will die if we eat of this fruit. Satan's question is, did God really say I just want to stir up a little bit of doubt in your mind there, right? Did he really say that? And her response is, yeah, that we will die. His immediate response, you will not certainly die. Hey, I just want you to know, it's not going to happen. I know what's going to take place. That's, that's not the end of the story right there. You won't certainly die, the serpent says, all right? And the ser- um, for, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And in that moment, the serpent is an expert at creating doubt. And he creates doubt in the life of the woman. And he creates doubt in the mind of man. Does God really have our best interests in mind here? And sometimes that's a question that you and I ask. And all you're there is you're just saying, I need a sign, just a sign to let me know that you're here, right? All of these, all the communications, it's crossed across the, it's messed up across the atmosphere. I missed the exact quote there, right? But train sings it, I'm calling all angels, I'm calling for an angel, I just want to have some sort of a sign. Or maybe you're more of the one to say, say something. I'm giving up on you. God, I'm at this point in my life and I just want to hear something. Will you say something? Will you bring this out? We need to be cautious because doubt can be dangerous. And doubt is dangerous when it takes God out of the equation. You see, when your doubt and my doubt stands back and says, you know what, God, I'm just giving up on you. That's all there is to it. I've asked, I've asked enough, and you're not coming through for me. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. And I'm stepping out. Our doubt can lead us to that direction. And that's what the serpent, that's what Satan, right? The great deceiver, as he is later called, the great deceiver. He would love nothing more than for you, for me, to have that doubt just well up in us and say, that's it. I'm done. You know, this God stuff, it's for other people. Let them enjoy it. I've trusted him. I've counted on him. And he's never come through for me. And that's where our doubt breaks out. Why? Because we, there are expectations that we have, and they're missed. We have these great expectations. God, you're going to do this. Where were you? You didn't come through. What happened? And we get stuck, and we struggle. So this morning, I want to look at Abraham. Um, Just as we looked at that beginning, I want to look at Abraham, because Abraham is one of the giants of the faith. We would call him a giant of the faith in our scriptures, right? Why? Because Abraham was called by God, and he is one of the individuals that when he was called by God, God gave him a promise. As a matter of fact, he gave him three promises, and God called Abraham, and he said, hey, I'm going to promise you land, I'm going to promise you seed, and I am going to promise you um, um, blessing. All right, You will be a blessing to the world. Land, seed, descendants, blessing. All right, And when he gives him that call, he's calling out to Abram and he's saying, Abram, I am going to give you something. I want you to go and do this for me. So let's take a look at what's said about him in scriptures. We're going to jump all the way into the New Testament first and take a look there. 2,000 years later, roughly, this is what's said about him in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place, he would later receive as, an, as his inheritance, obeyed. So it was by faith he did this and he obeyed and went, even though He did not know where he was going. In the midst of not knowing what it was, God said, hey, I want you to go. You're going to go to this place. Abraham did it. He followed, and it was by faith that he went and did it. Um, The writer of Hebrews continues on. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was looking forward and he saw it. And the writer of Hebrews continues on by saying, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. The story of Abraham and Sarah right there Talking about the very fact that by faith they did all this. Listen to them. The giant faith that they had in their lives. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on and says this. And so from this one man, Abraham, and he as good as dead, he was old, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Woo! That's great faith. End of the service right there out, packed up, put away. All right, all you got to do is have faith and obey. Does that sound good? All right, call it a morning. No, right? We're going to go back and we're going to take a look at his life. You guys were hoping it was calling the morning. I saw some of you. You were grabbing your coat ready to go. We're going to go back and we're going to take a look at at the life here because if you have grown up in church, and if not, that's all right. We're going to walk through this story right here. But you know the story of Abraham. You know, well, That's not quite the way I remember reading all of it in Genesis, right? That is the story, but are there a few more parts in there? Um, Abraham, he had big faith, and he obeyed and he followed. That's what we see there. Let's take a look. Genesis chapter 12, what takes place here in this book, in the story of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. I encourage you, if you want, you can grab your Bible, you can grab your iPhone or your other off-brand device, Or you can just take a look up here on the screen as it will be right here as well. I always have to throw that in just for fun, right? Um, Genesis chapter 12, verse one. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So Abram, went as the lord had told him and lot went with him abram was what 75 years old when he set out from haran you mean to tell me god used somebody that's 75 years old they're old and over the hill what is he doing no 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 right god's there i, I just want to i want to put this in our mind as a reminder because sometimes sometimes as we age we look back and we say oh the youth the youth they've got to do this the youth the youth Teens, oh yeah, we need more missionaries. Let's raise up more teens. We need more people proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's raise up more 20-somethings, right? And sometimes we, overpass, we, we overlook the fact that, you know what? God uses people of all ages, all sizes, wherever they're at in their lives. He can pull them along, and if you will follow him, he will use you. At the age of 75 years old, he went out from Haran. And he took with him his wife Sarai, all right, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out from the land of Canaan, and for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So this is what they are doing. Abraham, 75 years old, taking a group of people and leaving. Why? Because God has told me, you're going to have land, you're going to have seed, you're going to have blessing. He gets to the land of Canaan, and what does he realize? he has lots of land. There's lots of land there and available. Wherever he wanders around, they can claim, they can take the land, they can stake their claim on it. But there's something that Abraham realizes. And life continues to go on. And he's not counting back your backwards in age, but rather his ages continue to move it forward. So over in chapter 15 of Genesis, a few things have taken place. And when we get to chapter 15, this is what what it said. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? God, what can you do for me? I left my land. I followed you. I came here to Canaan. We've got lots of land, all right, lots of property. Um, But you promised me seed. You promised me descendants. You said that I'll be a blessing to the world. I I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know how that all happens and I don't understand it. But I understand this much about seed and descendants. If I don't have any children, I don't have any seed or descendants. And he's there like, I keep aging. You said this to me when I was 75. Now I'm getting older. What's going on here, God? Uh, Can you give me a sign? Can you help me out? I'm getting, I'm getting cross connections here, right? Um, and, he, and he goes on and says, I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is a leaser of Damascus. And Abram said, as we continue on, you have given me no children. So this is Abram to God still. You've given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. That's the problem that Abram's looking at. But then the Lord said to him, right? The Lord comes back and he makes this statement to him. The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him out outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed God he believed the Lord, and he was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham walks out. God reaffirms, you know what? No, nope. you are going to have a son of your own flesh and blood. Life continues on. Abraham continues to get older. His wife continues to get older. And in chapter 16, what happens? Now Sarah, Sarai, his wife, she came along, and she looks, and what does she say? She says this. Um, she had not born any children but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, all right? So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Now, I wanna pause here for a minute. I just wanna remind you, we're reading the Bible right here, okay? We are reading people that were just mentioned in our hall, what we call the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I just wanna ask any of you, go sleep with my slave. Does that sound like a good idea to any of you? It's not a trick question, all right? All right, this is, right, there it is. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her, all right? Good intentions. Whew, this just does not sound like a good idea. And you and I, even in our simpleton all these years later, we can look at that and say, that's not gonna go well, Right? It doesn't take a rocket scientist, right? It doesn't take family counseling to say, "Ooh, that's not a good idea right there. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build. And as we all look at that, and we all say, well, that's stupid, right? How many times have we stepped in and said, perhaps I can help you out here, God? Have you ever done that in your life? I mean, you haven't said that outright. We can't find that on any recording that you have. It's probably not in any post that you've made anywhere where you've said, ooh, I'll help God out with this one. But there are those times in our lives where we have said, let me help God out a little bit here because I think I can think of things that might help. That's exactly what she's doing there. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Not a good idea. Jump ahead, chapter 17. All right, it happened. Um, Hagar was the slave, and she did have a child named Ishmael. So God also said to Abraham a little bit later, as for Sarai, your wife, she will no longer be called Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. What's going on here? God is saying there's going to be something that happens. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of the nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham was so filled with faith when God said it this time, all right? He's so certain that God means it. This is what he does. Abraham fell face down and he laughed. This is our man of faith that we are looking at, right? He laughed and he said to himself, <clears throat> Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Abraham's smart enough to look around and say, I'm old. My wife is aging gracefully, right? That's what he's looking around. We have this, I have this son, Ishmael. We, I, I really like him. How about him? Can't he be the one? Can't he do, can't he be the one that does the job for us, right? Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. God responds, yes. Ishmael will, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. But my, but he continues on, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Wow, great faith, right? Great faith. God, this isn't how this is supposed to work. 25 years after the promise, right? How many of us want to wait 25 minutes? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to wait 25 seconds, right? That's what we want. God, I want an answer and I want it now. God, you promised this. Where is it? What's going on? God, you promised that you would take care of my family, that you would supply all my needs. What's happening here? God, I need you to step in and intercede in my children. Look at their lives. Look what's going on. And we have a plan for God, and we have a plan that we want God to follow. And yet sometimes God is following his plan to make us more like him, to bring us more to be like him. And it isn't always the plan that we want. 25 years Abraham had to wait, and yet he followed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, And he is a man that had great faith. What's what's the comment for us today? Can you follow God and have doubt? I'd say absolutely we can follow God and have doubt. We can follow God in the midst of doubt. But we need to be leaning into him. You see, God can handle our questions. He can handle our doubts. We can go to him. Hebrews 11, again, going back and looking at that passage, it says this. Now faith is confidence in what we have hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Did Abraham do it perfectly? Nope. Did Sarah do it perfectly? Nope. Will you or I do it perfectly? Nope. But let's continue to build our faith. Let's continue to push forward forward in our faith and follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Follow our God. We need to be cautious. Why? Because as I said at the beginning, doubt is dangerous, right? Our doubt can be dangerous when it takes God out of the equation. It certainly looked like Abraham and Sarah did that a couple of times, doesn't it? And yet God continued to work in their lives. In the midst of your doubt, if you will let him, God will continue to work in your life as well, Yeah, but you don't understand the problems that I have. I, I know I don't, um, which is probably why I'm not the one that can help you solve them. But we have a God who can. Can I tell you this? God has provided people around you that can build into your life as well, that have been where you have been many times, and can help lead you and help build your faith. That's why we promote community here. Why do we promote small groups? Because we believe that life together is better and will push us forward. Doubt is not only dangerous, all right? But we need to remember this, that God is not distant. Sometimes we think God is distant in our doubts, right? We can't see him. We can't feel him. Lord, you're not speaking to me. I'm not feeling you touch me. I'm not feeling you there. Where are you? He, is not distance. he has not distanced himself in our doubts. Check ourselves sometimes. Sometimes we have distanced ourselves from him. And then remember this. Faith is not the absence of, Of doubts, but the means to push us through our doubts. If you think you're alone, I want you to think about this. John the Baptist. Jesus said of John the Baptist, there is none greater born of women than John the Baptist. John the Baptist did all he could to follow God and do what it was that he was called to do when he came to proclaim a way for Jesus Christ here in this world. And as he claimed and proclaimed that way, what did John the Baptist do? He proclaimed the goodness of God. And yet when he was in jail, all right, and he's thrown into jail and he's near his death, about to be done, he sends friends of his to Jesus to say, are you the one what does that sound like? Jesus, I, I, I don't know. I'm hearing stories back here about what you're doing. Um, Jesus, I'm here in jail. I'm your cousin. I'm one of the ones that follows you the most. Can't you help me out? I don't know what he's thinking. But he sends his followers to say, are you the one? And Jesus says, you go back and tell him what's happening. And John the Baptist never delivered, right? He was never delivered from that doubt. Or never delivered from what we would think that you would want. But rather he was executed. Brutally. That's not what we want. And yet God says, "I will work through. I will work with you. I will push you. I will bring you forward. Follow me. Have faith in me." If you would, I want to encourage you to just watch this video right here.
1: I ask God to forgive me and may Jesus my Lord and Master as as a child, but. When I was about 20 years old, I thought, you know, there's billions of people on earth and most were taught and believed something totally different than what I was taught to believe. What are the chances I was taught the truth? And some quick math, it was clear that there was a low probability that what I believed was true. And so I began to look into what others believed. I read the Bhagavad Gita, researched Shintoism, Hinduism, Buddhism. I got a free copy of the Book of Mormon, researched Islam and got an English copy of the Quran. None of them were backed up historically like the Bible was. Certain forms of Eastern religions actually rejected logic and physical reality entirely. They just didn't stack up intellectually like ancient Christianity and the Bible do. But the religion or belief system that was actually most attractive to me was agnosticism and atheism. Agnosticism is um, believing that we're not sure God exists and atheism is of course that there is no God. And, And that's actually what I wanted to believe because it meant I could live however I wanted. And I wanted intellectual permission to be free to live especially sexually how I desired. Agnosticism and atheism gave me that permission, but it was so irrational because, you know, to believe such incredibly complex systems of life could arise by chance, that something could come out of nothing. I mean, in the end, I just didn't have the faith to be an atheist. I wanted to. I I just didn't have that much faith. So I, I chose the belief system that required the least amount of faith, had the most scientific, historical, logical evidence for it and that was Christianity. And you know that sexual freedom that I, as a young man, so desired to have permission to pursue? I've since found out that that was slavery, addiction, a trap that has ruined the lives of millions of men and women, including many of my friends. So I'm here to tell you, doubt is good. The truth is not afraid of being questioned. And In fact, I wish I would have reached out to someone because all those questionings, I kept that to myself. I didn't talk to anybody and I wish I had because faith that has not been questioned and challenged is a blind faith, weak faith, and foolish faith. And asking questions is a good thing. The problem with most people who don't believe the Bible is not that they ask too many questions, It's that they've stopped asking questions and stopped looking for answers, especially in places they don't want to find them.
0: Maybe that's true of us this morning, that we have stopped asking the questions because sometimes we don't want the answer. Because when we get the answer, then we're accountable to the God that is there. Um, Those of you that don't know, that's Bob Catalisa. He is one of our pastors, a pastor down at Montrose. And one of the interesting things about that story, as he tells that, is when he was 20, he was a student in Bible college who was preparing to go into ministry, who had those questions and said, you know what, I can take them, I can, I can ask them, I can be a part of asking that question. It was a number of years later that Bob Catalisic was, was called from a, from a church, and he was called to a new location, and it was to a place down in Montrose, Pennsylvania, to a church called Bridgewater in Montrose, Pennsylvania. It was just a small, small church down there. 2005, November, I believe, was when he started down there. Just a small church. And as he started proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaiming that people mattered to God whether they had doubts or not, whether they thought that they were too far away from him, people started to go and listen and their lives started to be changed. And over the years, from that time forward, they saw a church that grew and not only grew, and then they said, let's expand ourselves. Let's move up to Halstead. And they moved up to Halstead. And from Halstead, what did they do? They continued to grow and they expanded where? Into Conklin, New York. Into a location here. And from there to other locations as well, Tunkhannock, Vestal. And they have a reach that reaches across northeast Pennsylvania in the southern tier here of New York. But why do I say that? Because his faith, he said, you know what? In spite of some doubts that I have, my faith, I am going to push forward. I'm going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has rewarded that faith. And he has rewarded that faith what? Some of us here we are recipients of that, right? We are here as a result of that. Some of you, you started coming here, why? Because you had given up on church, but you had a friend that said, ah, come on down. Come down and be a part of our church. Some of you were there like, I, I don't know about that whole God thing, but I want to go and I want to hear about it. And as a result, you started coming here to church, and God changed, and he worked in your life. Why are carnations important to us? Carnations are important to us, why? Because they represent that continued ministry of making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we want to see people who are followers of Jesus Christ in the midst of doubt because we believe that Jesus will walk through you in that moment and he will strengthen your faith just as God walked with Abraham and strengthened his faith. I would encourage you to become a part of that we have a God who gave his son so that we might have life and we need to be thankful for that if you are here this morning and you are still wondering about this whole Jesus thing and about this faith thing I would encourage you to grab one of us we would be glad to talk to you more about what it is and how it is that God changes our lives if you are someone here this morning if you are here this morning and you are struggling with doubt I would encourage you Ask the questions of God. Lean into him. Don't run away, but rather lean into him and ask God, will you go with me? For Abraham and Sarah, 25 years. That's a long time. And yet God worked through them. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time together this morning, I say thank you. For each one that is here this morning, I just pray that you would bless and encourage them in their walk, bless and encourage them in their walk with you, their desire to follow you. Lord, for those that that are still wondering, Lord, where are you? God, may we be able to encourage people in their walk. May we be able to show them the truth of a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who changed the world. And we say thank you for that. So God, I pray that you might do more than we are even able to ask or imagine through the power that is at work in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name, amen. Thank you.